0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. How much do you know about Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? Probably, you know about the bombing, the Dust Bowl, and the Trail of Tears. Maybe if you're a basketball fan, you know about the drama of the Thunder. I am not a basketball fan, so I only knew the first three which makes for an altogether grim, pretty, dusty accounting of common knowledge about Oklahoma City. But Sam Anderson wants to change that. A staff writer for the New York Times Magazine and a veteran of our very own Humble Pages, Sam was sent off to OKC a few years ago to write about the high melodrama of the Oklahoma City Thunder, the basketball team that the city stole from Seattle. He got a lot more in the bargain and fell so hard for this weirdo city that he spent the next couple years writing about its roller coaster history, covering everything from its dramatic booms and busts of oil and weather to the unbelievable land run of 1889, in which OKC defied that old adage about Rome and founded it itself in a day. The result is a book as idiosyncratic as the city itself. Boomtown, the fantastical saga of Oklahoma City, its chaotic founding, its apocalyptic weather, its purloined basketball team, and the dream of becoming a world-class metropolis. Sam Anderson joins us from his heretical non-OKC home base in New York. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So you're not from Oklahoma City and you don't live there now, nor have you ever really lived there. Nope. And... Yet you wrote a whole book about Oklahoma City. So what captivated you? Uh,
1: That is a great question. Um, It gave me a feeling that as a writer, I've been waiting to have for my entire writing career. Um, And it's hard to describe that feeling. I mean, I was sent out there originally just to write a story for the New York Times magazine about the city's new NBA basketball team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, which was kind of like this electric young sports team that was capturing everyone's attention and just been to the NBA finals um, when no one expected them to get that far. And on the flight, I started reading a book about the history of Oklahoma. And immediately my mind was blown like 85 different ways. And I think by the time I landed, I kind of was having this feeling already of this is an enormous, rich, overlooked subject because I hadn't heard these stories before. And then every every new thing I found out and every experience I had on the ground just kind of reinforced that initial feeling that this was going to be my first book.
0: Yeah, it has been ignored. And as you acknowledge in the book, like, mm-hmm. it is often considered a flyover mm-hmm. state yeah. and city. But, I mean, now that you have been not ignoring it for five years – You rank it as one of the great weird cities of the world. So, I mean, what makes Oklahoma weird? Sell me on it. Why should I go to Oklahoma City for my next vacay? (laughs)
1: So many things. Have you been?
0: No, I have never been to Oklahoma.
1: Okay, perfect. Um, Well, let's start with the beginning, which is where Oklahoma City comes from. Oklahoma City was founded unlike any city in the history, not just of America, but of the world. And in a way that historians agree these days is essentially the worst possible way to start a city. Um, in this was in an event that's called the Land Run. And some people may have heard those words or they may have a slight notion of what that entailed. Um, but when I started reading the particulars of this history, I mean, there are a lot of aspects of it that are troubling and um, not to be celebrated for sure, but... It's also inherently kind of hilarious in a way that says something deep about America, I think, that anyone could have allowed this to happen. So, so the brief version of the land run is Oklahoma was known in the middle of the 19th century as Indian Territory, and this was where many of the tribes of the United States, not only of the Great Plains, but from all over the continent, were forcibly relocated. After the Civil War, the center of that territory, a space about half the size of Connecticut, about 2 million acres, um, becomes vacant when the federal government essentially kicks out the two tribes who are in it for having sided with the South during the Civil War. So you have this empty patch of land in the middle of everything. And it's it's actually called the unassigned lands. And the white settlers all around it start start lobbying Congress to give it to them. They want to raid this land. They're, in fact, they're conducting illegal raids. So There's like these groups of people who are calling themselves the boomers who are riding under cover of darkness into the unassigned lands and setting up these crazy like Wild West wilderness cities until federal troops come and kick them out. Eventually, Congress says, fine, you can have it. We'll open it up. And we don't really have a plan for it. So let's just do it like this. I mean, it's like an idea you would think of when you were like high, at, like five in the morning. They're like, everybody who wants any of this from anywhere, go ahead and just come line up around the, the border of the unassigned lands. And at noon on April 22nd, 1889, we're going to give some signals. We'll fire guns and cannons. And then everyone just run in, gallop in, whatever you want to do, ride bicycles, hammer down some stakes, and that land can be yours. And so you get this surge of people from around the world. It's something like 100,000 people who end up showing up for the land run. And they get all lined up around this border. And the signals come and everybody just rushes in. And it's complete chaos. I mean, it's rough country. There's all these dry creek beds and stuff and wagons are hitting them and just like exploding and people are flying out of their wagons and getting up and running on and people are shooting their guns to speed up their horses and accidentally shooting other people and like it's just nuts. And out of this chaos comes all these settlements, the most important of which is going to turn out to be Oklahoma City. Uh, And it goes from population zero to Population roughly 10,000 in just a matter of hours. So you have this kind of instant city formed right on the brink of the 20th century. This is 1889. It is documented by journalists of the time. The first train car that was allowed to come in on the very first train during the land run was full of media from like Harper's Weekly and and all these global newspapers. And people were just fascinated by what was going to happen on this unlikely ridiculous day. And so from moment one, this place has been documented in a way that no other city in the world has been. Like, we don't know what the first few seconds of Rome were like, you know, but we know what happened the very first night in Oklahoma City, and we know what happened every single day since. So it's in that sense, it's this kind of extraordinary, like, parody of an American place. And really, that nuttiness has just moved forward through time and every phase of Oklahoma City's existence has been kind of that bizarre.
0: So the land run is a big boom, the first, and one of many that lend your book its title, but those are inevitably followed by busts. Yep. So how does that cycle play out in the city's history?
1: It is a place that has been extraordinarily dependent on booms, and therefore extraordinarily vulnerable to busts. The biggest booms and busts, of course, are linked to the oil industry. And Oklahoma City, for a while in the, in the 19-teens, was really going crazy because Tulsa, this little kind of outpost, not nearly as glorious as Oklahoma City, this is a, you know, from the perspective of Oklahoma Citians, um, in the teens was absolutely booming and was one of the richest places on earth because they discovered oil underneath them. And all the geology said that Oklahoma City should have it too, and they couldn't find it. So they were going completely nuts. And Tulsa's raising these beautiful Art Deco skyscrapers, and Oklahoma City is still kind of this, like, I don't know, uh, wooden, muddy outpost. Um, So the original gigantic boom for OKC came in 1928, where they finally found the oil that was underneath them. And once they found it, they were in. and, And oil derricks just sprouted all over the city. And everything became about getting this stuff out of the ground and converting it into money. And you've got skyscrapers launching everywhere. And it actually helped them kind of ride out the Great Depression. You can almost look at it like tree rings on a tree or something and read the history of the city through its architecture. And in these booms, you get these skyscrapers. And in the busts, everything kind of stagnates or comes down. Um, Another great example, I think, of the boom-bust psychology is in the middle of the 20th century, when every American city was dabbling with urban renewal, Oklahoma City decided that it was... I mean, we're talking about, again, a city that was formed in a day in 1889, which was yesterday. All these other cities, like Boston, you know, the oldest city on the continent, basically might have good reason to say, okay, we're going to bulldoze this neighborhood because it's essentially falling down or these buildings downtown really need to be updated and bigger. Oklahoma City had no excuse like that. And yet it could not let these other cities modernize and do urban renewal um, without doing it itself. And it hired I.M. Pei, who was a young man at the time, to come in and draw up the most like futuristic utopian redesign of Oklahoma City that he could. And then they followed it and they even exceeded his plan and they just destroyed everything downtown. They just, I mean, people say it looked like a post-World War II, like Dresden or something. It was just devastation. And this was in the 60s and 70s. They're bulldozing everything. People are freaking out, but the Chamber of Commerce wants this to happen. So it happens. And you have this downtown completely made up of empty lots And just at the moment where IMP's glorious sort of modernist vision is supposed to sprout up, the economy completely busts. It busts as hard as an economy can bust. There was this um, oil prices declined, and then there was this banking collapse that started in Oklahoma City and almost took down the entire national banking economy. And all this building that was supposed to happen just doesn't happen. And so Oklahoma City went from this kind of beautiful, dense downtown with, with its own pretty Art Deco skyscrapers. It had a, a skyscraper that was based on um, the Doge's Palace in Venice, this, like, white, glorious thing with all these spires. And, and all of those are suddenly just gone. They blew them up, and they bulldozed them. And so you have this city that's just, its core is just, like, empty lots full of weeds, and that lasts for decades.
0: Well, it's crazy, too, because this boom and bust cycle can also apply to the original reason you were sent out to OKC, which was the Thunder, yeah, for this, sure. Uh, this basketball team, and and I, I don't follow basketball, so pardon me if I. That's okay. <laughs> if no, I make that's any mistakes. <laughs> that's the kind of
1: person I wrote the book for, actually.
0: Well, yeah, and it was it was interesting to me. So, I mean, we have this basketball team, the Thunder. They are meteoric in their rise. Yeah. They were not always, and they were stolen. I mean, what's the story there? It is almost as wild as OKC's founding.
1: Yeah. So, so for me, growing up like in the 80s when the NBA was really booming because of Michael Jordan and Larry Bird, all these superstars, um, one of the classic teams was the Seattle Supersonics. By the early 21st century, the Seattle Supersonics are kind of mediocre. They're kind of overlooked. They're just not that important a franchise. And this group of businessmen in Oklahoma City see an opportunity, and they go and buy the Sonics and very controversially relocate them to Oklahoma City, which is this place that no one ever thought would or should have a professional basketball team. Um, But these guys made it happen. And so suddenly you have this transplanted old classic NBA team rebranded as the OKC Thunder. And not only do they suddenly have a team, but they have this nucleus of young superstars, uh, these three guys, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, who have who have gone on to become just like the faces of the NBA and they're all on one team and they're all incredibly young and they reach the NBA finals and it's just like this bonanza. It is a boom. Like you said, it's a total boom of basketball success. Everybody is kind of penciling them in for the next, you know, 10 finals and multiple championships. And Oklahoma City just cannot believe the glory it's about to be enjoying. I mean, this is a place that gets no international recognition for anything other than maybe the tragedy of the bombing. You know, people knew everywhere around the world about that. But since then, no. And suddenly they are known internationally. And people are wearing shirts in Hong Kong that say Oklahoma City on the front. And it's just like this PR coup for the city. I like to write about sports like it's anything else that humans do. It's just interesting because it's a bunch of humans doing stuff. It's like like art or music or anything else. So I tell that story of this rise of this team and what it means civically to this strange American place. And then, of course, as you alluded to, the basketball boom kind of goes bust.
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought the way you told the basketball story, among all the other stories, was really interesting, too, because you switch between these slices of contemporary basketball narrative and then suddenly we're in the beginning of the 20th century or the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, so every few pages we're in this different era. What effect were you going for? I mean, what what does telling the story of OKC in this way? What does that tell us about the city? Um.
1: Yeah, the structure of this book was really tricky to figure out. What fascinated me about the place was this great quality that I call middleness. It's just the middle of everything. And what happens in the middle of everything? Well, everything that naturally would be around that thing kind of meets in that middle area. And so Oklahoma is a place where again and again, you have all these different things crashing together. Um, You know, you have the many different Uh, indigenous tribes of the Great Plains crashing together, and then you have all these other tribes forced into that area as well, and you have European explorers of different kinds, and you have just so many different influences and people and forces coming together and changing one another and finding a way to compromise or fighting or what have you. So it's all this stuff kind of jockeying for position in this one small area right near the center of America. I mean, that's what The Land Run was about. It was this incredible pileup of people and stories and motivations. So I think in my book, I think what ended up happening was I knew I wanted to tell all these different stories of clashing and all these different time frames. And I couldn't figure out a good structure for it. And so I kind of in the end was just like, well, this book should mimic the form of Oklahoma City itself. So let's throw it all together as if in a kind of narrative land run. And let's see how it self-organizes. And so that's, that's how it ended up doing it was kind of these little narratives that grow next to one another and start weaving into one another so that you get the sense by the end that everything is incredibly interconnected. You can't understand the basketball team unless you understand the bombing. And you can't understand the bombing unless you understand urban renewal, unless you understand the land run. It's just the nature of the place. Everything is kind of radically interconnected.
0: So I guess is my final question. If I were to go to Oklahoma City next week, Uh or maybe in like two weeks to let it cool down a little bit, Uh um, where should I go? What should I see?
1: Okay. The first thing you're going to see is this enormous skyscraper that's nearly twice as tall as everything else within 100 miles. And so that... In itself is kind of the perfect emblem of Oklahoma City, is this place that just wants to be so much bigger than it is and so much more important. So, you're, you're going to admire that as you drive into town. And then I would say go to the bombing memorial. It's right in the center of everything downtown. It is, to me, one of the absolute perfect, timeless, beautiful memorials in the world. It's so powerful. Um, and it's so kind of quiet and then you can walk out from there in any direction and you can kind of trace the history that I tell in the book. You can see, you can feel the, the strange kind of wide emptiness of the Great Plains in the cityscape itself somehow. Like the streets are very wide. You can feel the wind, the constant wind blowing, uh, you got to walk over to Elemental Coffee where you'll find like the new generation of Oklahoma City, which part of the the civic revolution going on there over the last 10 years is that for the first time ever, the young people are staying. You get these generations of young people with like big ideas and idealism and they're all hanging out at Elemental Coffee and you can get very good espresso. <laughs> and then... You just walk around Midtown and look at all the crazy T-shirt shops where you can buy like 800 different T-shirts celebrating Oklahoma City or different esoteric aspects of the Thunder and all their players. It's like there's this whole like uh, economy of T-shirt designers, like graphic designers making T-shirts. It's kind of amazing. My wife said on her first trip there, she said, I feel like the degree to which no one outside of Oklahoma thinks about Oklahoma is perfectly balanced by the way that everybody inside of Oklahoma thinks about Oklahoma all the time. (laughs) And that's kind of true. So you'll come away with like five t-shirts declaring your love uh, for Oklahoma and the Thunder.
0: As Sam said, it's hard to fit your arms around the history of a city this weird, however well-documented it may be. So for more on your next travel destination check out Sam Anderson's new book, Boomtown. This podcast was in no way sponsored by the Tourism Board of Oklahoma City, we promise. We'll be back next week with more weird stories. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.